Well, guys, let's dive into our message this morning. Bob Russell is a retired preacher and a good uh, friend, and he uh, writes in his book, he says, imagine that, uh, imagine that you take a quantum leap in time and you land in Southampton mid-April 1912, okay? You look at the newspaper and you read the headlines, Titanic set to set sail on its maiden voyage. What would you do? Well, you would probably run to the harbor and begin pleading with people to not get on that boat, right? Because you know what happens. And you're going to be pleading with people and people are going to think that you're crazy. They're going to say, yeah, whatever. How do you know the future? An iceberg, 1,500 people die? What in the world are you talking about? You're just trying to ruin my vacation. Haven't you heard? Even God can't sink this ship. Man. You'd probably have little success. People would board the ship, and then what would you do? Well, if you really cared about those people, you would probably rent the biggest boat that you could and begin chasing them down, trying to rescue as many people as possible. You would risk everything knowing that hundreds of lives are in the balance. Well, if it's true that our sin separates us from God for eternity, And if it's true that Jesus is the Son of God and he came and died on the earth for sins, and if it's true that through Jesus we can have forgiveness of sins and he is our only hope for eternal life, then it is the task of us as God's church to bring as many people as we can back to Jesus while there is still time. The Bible tells us that the world and its pleasures are going to perish. And people whose hopes are in this world are doomed. And the only hope that we have is found in Jesus Christ. And if we really truly believe that this is true, then we're going to do everything that we can to persuade as many people as possible to come to Jesus while there's still time. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but live for him who died for them and is raised again, is what Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We've been in the middle of our series studying the gospel of Matthew, and Jesus has been teaching us and he's been showing us what it means and what it looks like to live in the kingdom of heaven, what it looks like to live under God's authority, what it looks like to live as salt and light. Last week, we finished the Beatitudes and we saw that how us being in a right relationship with God changes how we are in relationships with other people. We have been shown mercy, and so we begin to show mercy to others. Blessed are the merciful. Jesus has stood in the gap between us and God and made peace with us and God, and so we, in turn, want to make peace and stand in the gap for other people. Blessed are the peacemakers. Today, we're going to see why and how we are to live as salt and light in some practical ways. Because the reality is that your family and your friends and your neighbors and your coworkers and our community and our world, they need you and me to live as salt and light, but they don't need us to live as salty and lit. Because, because they're getting on the Titanic and we need to do everything that we can 
to rescue as many as we can. So friends, if you have your Bibles, if you would turn with me over to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew is the first book of the New Testament. If you're looking for it, it's about two-thirds of the way through your Bible. Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to start off there in verse 13. If you don't have a Bible, we've got some on the back table back there that we would love to give you a copy of one today. Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to start there in verse 13 where we left off. We'll also have it up here on the screen. Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. Jesus continues his Sermon on the Mount here, and he says, You are the salt of the earth, but the salt loses its saltiness. How can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. So let's pause there for just a moment. Jesus says that you are salt and you are light. Friends, if you follow Jesus, then you will be changed. You will be different. All over the New Testament, this is how it talks about following Jesus. It talks about following Jesus like this. It says, if we follow Jesus, then we are going to die to our sins and die to ourselves. And that we are going to be made alive to God and to righteousness. The Bible tells us that if we follow Jesus, that we deny ourselves and we pick up our cross and follow after him. We take off the old self and we put on the new self. We are a new creation. Are you beginning to see a theme? If we follow Jesus, there should be drastic change in our life and who we are. We should be different. We should go against the grain and against the flow. We are called to be different. We are called to be changed. The world is salty. They are bitter. They are full of anger and rage, but Jesus calls us to be salt. Instead of destroying, we are called to preserve. We are called to bring flavor. We are called to bring value. The world is lit. They are filled up and drunk off of the desires of the flesh. Living as sons and daughters of darkness. Doing whatever feels good in that moment. But Jesus calls us not to be lit, but to be, called, be light. To illuminate. To brighten to show the path. Jesus says that if we follow him, then we are salt and we are light. And friends, your family desperately needs you to be salt and light. Your friends need you to be salt and light. Your coworkers and your neighbors and our community, they need us to be salt and light. They need us to be different. They need you. You are needed. They need salt and they need light. But why? Well, Jesus tells us in the next verse. Look at verse 16 in Matthew 5. Jesus says, In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Your family, your friends, your neighbors, your co-workers, they need you to be salt and light so that they can glorify God. Friends, 
We are to follow the example of Jesus. And when we are following the example of Jesus, we will also be giving others an example to follow. Much as Paul said, follow my example as I follow Christ. When we are salt and when we are light, we will be giving an example for our spouses and our kids and our coworkers and our neighbors to follow. We will be setting an example for them. And as we set an example for them, we are also pointing them at the same time to the one that we are following example, to Jesus. We will be pointing them to Jesus. Notice what Jesus says here. He says, let your light shine before others so that when they see your good deeds, they may glorify who? God, your Father in heaven, right? Friends, if people are giving you the praise and the honor and the glory for the good deeds that you're doing, then you need to have a serious heart check because there needs to be a mindset shift that happens. The world tells us that we are to be good so that other people notice us and other people lift us up and other people praise us. But Jesus followers, we do good not to bring us praise, but to bring God praise. It's a difference in heart. It's a difference in motivation. Let your light shine before others to give them example, to follow, to point them to Jesus, and to help them to discover what you have discovered, your relationship with Jesus. Here at Journey Church, we put it this way. We say that all of us go out and build authentic relationships with the lost in our community and around the world and communicate the gospel of Jesus, the good news of Jesus, in relevant and innovative ways that everyone can understand. Friends, it is through our relationships with other people that others are able to discover their relationship with God. Relationships are the vehicle in which we use to help others discover their relationship with Jesus. We build authentic relationships with people, with our family and our friends and our coworkers and our neighbors that are lost. And when we are building authentic relationships with them, and when we are living as salt and light among them, when they see that we are for real, and this isn't just a mask that we put on on Sunday mornings, but this is really, we live and think and act and speak differently than the world does. It opens up opportunities for us to communicate and share with them what we have discovered, a relationship with Jesus, so that God is praised in their lives, so that God is glorified in their lives. This is why we let our light shine so that others, when they see our good deeds, bring praise to God and not to us. This is why. But then, Jesus is going to give us some practical ways that we are to live as salt and light. Now, these practical ways, I'll go ahead and warn you, are different than what the world says is right. In fact, they are upside down from what the world says is right. And they may even be upside down from what you think is right. Now, the religious leaders, the Pharisees and Sadducees of Jesus' day, they taught 
on all six of these commands that Jesus is going to address. And Jesus is going to address all six of them, from murder to adultery to divorce to oaths to retaliation and to love. And Jesus is going to address not only the commands of all six of these laws, but he also is going to address the interpretations of the Pharisees or the religious leaders of the time. You see, many times the Pharisees at that time would take the commands of God that he handed down to Moses that we have in the Old Testament, and they would bend them and twist them to meet their own wants and their own desires. Sometimes that meant that they would relax a command that God had given. Sometimes that meant that they would add so many regulations to that that it was impossible for people to follow. But Jesus is going to turn their interpretations upside down. And he begins here with murder. Look at verse 21. Jesus says, You have heard that it was said that people long ago, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Mm. Let that sink in for just a minute. Anyone who says to his brother or sister, Raka, which means fool, is answerable to court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. So Jesus reiterates this command to do not murder. The religious leaders and Pharisees at this time would have restricted that as well. They would say, hey, yeah, it's a bad thing to murder people. Right? Most people agree with that, right? Even if they don't believe in God or the Bible, you know, they may have a hard time like, justifying why murder is bad if they don't have any foundation of Scripture and God. right? Um, but most people would say murder is bad, okay? especially if the person that you want to murder is me. Right? Then it's really bad. And somebody else, eh, maybe we'll have a discussion about it. right? You know? But most people say that murder is bad. And the Pharisees would have agreed with that. But Jesus cuts to the heart of the matter. He cuts to our hearts. Jesus extends the command not only to the act of actually murdering somebody else, but to our very thoughts. Man, I I may not have physically murdered someone, but how many people have I destroyed with my thoughts and with my words? Jesus wants us to not only obey the commands of God, but he wants us to internalize these commands. Because Jesus knows that when our minds and our hearts are transformed, that our actions are going to follow. And this is going to be a theme that you'll see through all six of these commands. The Pharisees were only concerned about the outside, but God has always been concerned about our hearts. Proverbs 21, 2 says, a person may think their own ways are right, but the Lord weighs their what? Their hearts. Jesus knows that when our minds and our hearts are transformed, that our actions will follow. When our heads and our hearts, when our minds and our attitudes are changed, that our hands will follow. He goes from murder to adultery. Look at verse 27. Jesus continues and says, You have heard that it said, You shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So the law of God commanded to not commit adultery, to remain faithful to your spouse, 
And the Pharisees, they would have restricted this act as well. But again, Jesus takes us to the heart of the matter, our hearts. I may not have physically committed adultery, but have I looked lustfully at others? Jesus extends this command to our thoughts and our hearts because Jesus knows that when our thoughts and our hearts are transformed, that our actions will follow. It's the same with divorce. Jesus' day is much like it is today. And, and, and people in Jesus' day, they would say that people are permitted to divorce for whatever reason that you deem necessary. She looked at me wrong, and now we're done. Right? I didn't like the way he talked to me or didn't talk to me, and so we're finished. Right? That's how it was in Jesus' day, too. He says, as long as you have a certificate of divorce, you can divorce for whatever reason. But Jesus, again, restricts not only divorce, but for only the permission of adultery. Our world tells us that marriage is nothing, and so that you can end marriage for whatever reason you deem necessary. And now our culture is so disenfranchised with uh, the foundation of marriage that we say, why get married at all? Just live together, just sleep together, just have kids together. But Jesus is going to uphold the importance and the sacredness of marriage, and he limits the ending of it to adultery. But friends, I can tell you that I have seen followers of Jesus who have worked through even adultery to make a marriage not only work, but to be good. And friends, like all six of these, we could probably spend a whole series talking about murder and adultery and, and divorce, and maybe we need to. But for right now this morning, I, I want you to know that your marriage, it's worth fighting for. It's worth fighting for to not only make it work, but to make it good. And that's worth whatever it may cost you in the meantime. Your marriage is important, and it's worth you fighting for. Listen to what Jesus says to us in verse 31. He said, It has been said anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. So in other words, like, just whatever reason, as long as you give a certificate of divorce, it's fine. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality makes her a victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman also commits adultery. So again, Jesus takes the command and he cuts right to the heart of the matter, our hearts, because he knows that when our minds and our hearts are transformed, that our actions will follow. Are you guys catching a theme? And this line of teaching continues from murder to adultery to divorce to making oaths to retaliation and even down to love, how we love other people. Look at verse 43. Jesus says, you have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That sounds good to us, right? We just stop there. <laughs> but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Jesus takes what we think is right and he turns it upside down. He cuts right to the heart of the matter. He cuts to our hearts. 
And friends, if we are going to live as salt and light in the world, we are going to live upside down from what the world says is right. And friends, your family and your co-workers and your neighbors and your friends and our community, they need you to live upside down. They need you to live as salt and light. Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify God. So, as we close today, I want to give you three things that we can do to start living upside down, to start living as salt and as light. First, if we are going to start living upside down from the rest of the world, if we're going to start living as salt and light, then we first must check our hearts. Jesus tells us to let our light shine before others so they may see our good deeds and glorify who? God, right? Our Father in heaven. Who's getting the praise for your good deeds? Is it you or is it God? Now the world tells us that we do good so that others notice us, so that others praise us, so that others lift us up. You should do good so that others build you up, right? But Jesus says that we do good to build Jesus, to build God up, to lift up God, to, so that God is praised and God is glorified. So friends, we need to check our hearts. Are you doing even good so that you are praised or so that God is praised? If we want to start living upside down, we first must check our hearts. Secondly, if we want to start living upside down, then we need to abstain from sin. In 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter reiterates the same command that Jesus gives us here in chapter, in chapter 5, verse 16 of Matthew. And he says in verse 11 of 1 Peter 2, he says, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify who? God in the day that he visits. Friends, we are called to live upside down. We are called to live as salt and light. We are called to live against the grain, to go against the flow, to live different, to live upside down. We are foreigners and exiles. We are aliens and strangers. Now, Peter is writing to people who lived in the very country that they were born in. So they weren't aliens and strangers and foreigners because they were living in some other country, but they were aliens and strangers and foreigners because they were to live different. Friends, we are foreigners, so let's start living like it. Our lives and our thoughts and our actions and our words should look different than the world around us. We should live as different. And in order for us to live as different, we need to abstain from the sinful desires because as Peter tells us, they are waging war against our very soul. In fact, Paul tells us not just to abstain, but to actually die to sin. Both in Colossians 3 and then here in Romans chapter 6, he tells us to die to sin. Verse 1, he says, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we still live in it any longer? Or do you not know that those of us that were baptized into Christ Jesus 
were baptized into his death. Friends, if you follow Jesus, if you've met Jesus in baptism, then you have died to your sin. And friends, if you've never put your faith in Jesus and repented of your sins and been baptized, what's stopping you today? Come and die to your sins so that you can start living for God. Now, let me tell you, living for God is upside down from what the world tells us to live. It it looks different from the world teaches us and what the world does. But let me tell you, there is no better way for us to live than upside down for God. Because really, it's right side up. So if you've never died to your sins and been baptized, won't you come today and die to your sins and abstain from the sinful desires that are waging war against your soul? Friends, if we want to live upside down for Jesus, if we want to live as salt and light, then we must check our hearts. We must abstain and die to sin. And third, we must throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles us. The writer of Hebrews in chapter 12, verse 1 says this, Therefore, and we'll come back to that, Ed, just so you know, we'll come back to that therefore, okay? Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out before us. Friends, if we want to start living as salt and light, if we want to start living upside down for Jesus, then we need to throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles us so that we can run with perseverance the race that God has left out, led, led out before us. But how do we do that? How do we run this race? How do we throw off the things that hinder us? How do we throw off the sin that so easily entangles us? Well, that's where the therefore comes in, right? Anytime you see a therefore in scripture, as Ed always reminds us, you need to go back and look what's the therefore, therefore, all right? It's therefore because of chapter 11. Chapter 11 tells us of a a whole list of men and women that have gone before us and set an example for us of how to live upside down, how to walk by faith, how to live by faith. They have shown us what it means to throw off the things that hinder us, how, how we are to live um, as, as those who, who get rid of sin that so easily entangles us. They have shown us how to do it. But even if you go back further than that into chapter 10, chapter 10, the writer of Hebrews says, hey, don't give up meeting together as in the habit of some. He said, because you guys are, are giving up the habit of meeting together, of gathering together, you are unable to properly repent of sin. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, not only those that have gone before us, but those who are around us right now, we need each other. We need a cloud of witnesses around us to encourage us, to pray for us, to hold us accountable. We need each other so that we can throw off everything that hinders us, so that we can throw off the sin that so easily entangles us. Here at Journey Church, we say it like this. We say that we build strong relationships, walking side by side through the messiness of life with prayer, accountability, and encouragement. And friends, here at Journey Church, we do that in life groups. Life groups are groups of men and women between 8 and 12 different people who gather on a regular basis, weekly most of the time. And they walk through the messiness of life with us. They come alongside of us and they help us to throw off the things that hinder us, 
the sin that so easily entangles us. They, they come alongside of us and sometimes they have to pick us up. Sometimes they put their arms around us. Sometimes they're behind us and kicking us in the butt. But we need each other. We need a, a great cloud of witnesses around us if we are going to throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles us. And so if you don't have a life group, you need to get yourself a life group. We need each other. We are better together. If we want to start living upside down, we need to check our hearts. We must abstain and die to sin. We need to throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles us. And lastly, we need to fix our eyes on Jesus. The next verse in Hebrews 12, verse 2 says this. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Friends, if we are going to start living as salt and life, we're going to start living upside down, then we must fix our eyes on Jesus. Jesus is the pioneer, the author, the perfecter of our faith. He has set the example for us. He has gone before us and shown us how we are to live perfectly. Now, will we live perfectly? No, far from it. And praise be to him for his grace. But he has shown us how to live. He has set the example for us. He has laid out the path for us. It's much like the man who was going on a hike through the Swiss Alps and he hired an experienced guide. And after a couple of days of hiking, they come to this mountain pass and the pass had almost completely washed out. And to his left was this sheer rock face and to his right was a thousand foot drop. And as he began to look down and look down the side, his head begins to grow faint and his knees begin to buckle. And at that moment, the guide says, hey, don't look down or you'll be a dead man. Keep your eyes on me and put, my feet where, where your, put your feet where my feet are. And so the man did as he was instructed. And he soon passed from danger to safety because he fixed his eyes on the guide and he put his feet where the guide put his feet. Friends, keep your eyes on Jesus. Put your feet where he has stepped. Fix your eyes on Jesus and follow him. He is the author, the pioneer, and the perfecter of the faith. If we want to start living upside down, we must check our hearts. We must abstain and die to sin. We must throw off the sin and everything else that hinders us by surrounding ourselves with a cloud of witnesses, and we must fix our eyes on Jesus. Your family, they need you. Your friends, they need you. Your coworkers, your neighbors, our community, they need you to be salt and light. They need you to fix your eyes on Jesus. They need you to surround yourself with a great cloud of witnesses to help you throw off everything that hinders you. They need you to abstain and put to death sin. They need you to set an example for them to follow. Your kids need you to be salt and light. Your spouses need you to be salt and light. Your neighbors and friends need you to be salt and light. Let your light shine so that others may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Let's be salt and let's be light. We pray with me? Father, we thank you for the countless men and women who have gone before us and set an example for us to follow. And we thank you that even though they weren't perfect, they were following you and they've shown us how to do it. 
And Father, we thank you for the perfect example that you have given us in your son Jesus. Father, help us to fix our eyes on him. Help us to put our our feet and our steps where he has stepped. Father, help us to throw off that which hinders us and so easily entangles us by surrounding ourselves with not only the people that have gone before us, but brothers and sisters who will hold us accountable, who will encourage us, who will pray for us so that we can run with perseverance the race that you have marked out before us. Father, we thank you that you have not put us here alone, but you have given us each other. Father, help us to abstain and die to sin. Help us to check our hearts and make sure that you are getting all the credit and we are getting none. Father, we thank you for the teaching of your son, Jesus. Would you lead us to be the salt and light that you've called us to be and that our family and friends and our coworkers need us to be? Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus, and we ask all this in his name. Amen. Friends, we're going to move into a time of communion and commitment and prayer. And if you're here and you have never given your life to Jesus, never died to your sins and so that you can live for God, you never met him in baptism and you want to talk about what that means or you're ready to do that today, I'm going to be out in the lobby. Come and talk with me today. If you are a follower of Jesus, we invite you to join us in this time of communion. And if you didn't grab communion on your way in, you can raise your hand. I think uh, Taylor's there in the back and bring, bring it to you. Just raise your hand, they'll bring it to you. This is a time for us to remember the sacrifice that Jesus has made for us to give us forgiveness, to, uh, to, to set the example for us, but also to wipe us clean. We take the bread and it reminds us of his body that he sacrificed for us. We take the cup and it reminds us of his blood that he poured out for us. And Jesus tells us that when we do this, we do this in remembrance of him. Paul tells us that we need to examine ourselves and check our hearts and our intentions and confess our sins to God and lay them down at his feet. And then we can remember together the death and the burial and the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus. And so if you're a follower of Jesus, we invite you to join us in this time. Use this time to remember and reflect. If you need prayer, if you're ready to make a decision for Jesus, man, I'm going to be out in the lobby. Come and talk when you're ready. Let's remember and proclaim together today.